Animal Magnetism, exploring animal care for creatures great and small, conservation and preservation in today's world. Find out what a single voice can do to make a difference in the lives of animals. Animal Magnetism with Carolyn Hennessy starts right now on UVN Radio. I live to serve. I live to serve. We have to change that intro because it, it's not a single voice. It's, and it's a, it's a brand new year, and I think it's been five years of that intro, and it's not a single voice. It is many voices, and I'm just channeling them, channeling them. So Tony explained to me something. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's Carolyn Hennessy, your host for Animal Magnetism. Welcome back. Explain to me something. Yes, ma'am. How can the studio now be closer to my house, and I am later to arrive? Explain that to me. <laughs> Because I, I, I don't get it. <laughs> it's like it's like I somehow just sort of roll out of bed at seven forty-five and realize, oh, huh, I've got a show to do. It's like I just pull up. Um, but I love our brand new studios. I love our new studios. We don't have the window open today. Now we do. Looking onto that beautiful vista with trees. I wish I wish everyone could see this. It is so gorgeous. The um, I, I I probably shouldn't tell exactly where we are. Mm. Well, the lakes the, we're looking at the Lakeside Country Club golf course. Oh my gosh, green vistas. Okay, today with us, first of all, we do not have my uh, regular co-host slash producer Andrea Compton because Andrea is is under the weather. So we wish her a speedy recovery. We love her mucho mucho mucho, and we and and we miss her. But but we will see her on the flip side. Of, of being under the weather, and that will be in two weeks. Um, but we do have with us our, I guess, our, our also regular co-host, Dr. Gray Stafford, my personal Alpha and Omega. Uh, good morning, my friend. How are you? Good morning. It's so good to see you, and congratulations on St. Agatha. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes, for those who don't know, and, and if you're following my Facebook page, you do, because it's been plastered all over it. Yes, I had, uh, I had my first horror film open last uh, two days ago, Friday. We had a premiere on Wednesday, and, uh, and it, it's, it's, it's getting some astonishing acclaim, and just for the movie in toto. I mean, the direction, the lighting, the production, the cinematography, everything. And the cast is getting is is getting some kudos as well, and it's 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 a really creepy. It borders on nunsploitation <laughs> because because it all takes place in a convent, and I play a very very evil mother superior. So go rent it, and look at me in a whole new light. Okay, um, but thank you, Gray. And and before we get to our guest, first time recurring back to back shows live in studio. Mike Veal of Global Conservation Force, and we will get to you in just a moment. Welcome, welcome. But Gray, you were on CNN last night, and tell us why. Yeah, it's a rather tragic story, but it's um, it's not necessarily uh, rare or uncommon. Um, <clears throat> there was a, a zoo in London, the Zoological uh, Society there. Uh, they were trying to uh, put together a male and female uh, pair of tigers, Sumatran tigers, which are critically endangered uh, species. And unfortunately, the introduction was going well until the actual time to be together and things got out of hand and the male killed the female. Um, so we went on CNN International last night and got a chance to talk about that because you know some people might be upset by this, this outcome, but it is actually very much a part of tiger life and, and physiology and behavior. 
because I'm sure the activists went went screaming. It's like they shouldn't be in captivity. This only happens in captivity. Um, um, if they hadn't tried to, well, increase the species, uh, this would never have happened, et cetera, et cetera. But, but obviously the facts are that, yes, it does happen in the wild. It, it does. <clears throat> and anyone who's ever seen tigers uh, mating in a zoological setting or, or even in the wild, you know, tigers are solitary animals. Uh, the only time you see females with other companions, it's when she's got cubs or when she's an estrus uh, accepting a male or not accepting a male, as the case may be. And it can be it can be very violent. And if you looked at their behavior during breeding under any other context, you might say, wow, that's that's really aggressive. Uh, because it is. And it's not surprising that on occasion, rarely, but it does happen, that things can get out of hand and, and uh, a fight ensues. And because they're smaller, females usually end up losing right. that battle. Right, right, right. Look, it's, you know, it's part of the cycle. It's, it is. It's, it's part of nature. It's, 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 <clears throat> it's an ugly part of nature, but it's, it's a fact. And it, and it happens. So people, throttle back. Just throttle yeah. back. Just throttle, under, back. Uh, throttle back, understand that all good intentions, because, again, critically endangered, and we're just trying to keep keep the population up. Right. Sometimes it Absolutely. fails. Sometimes right. it fails. Listen, this it's all about intention. And this was this was this was a grand intention. It's when right. we it's when we, you know. It's the other intentions that we actually have to worry about. So I, I was grateful for CNN to give us the time to have that That's great. rational conversation. That's great. That's great. Who were you on? Who were you on with? Um, his name is um, Cyril. He he does their weekend uh, international broadcasts. Okay, excellent. Excellent. Was anyone was anyone opposing you? No, that was the beauty of it. It was four minutes of just a conversation. You know, he raised some questions. Uh, he raised a quote from. Uh, Travers, the gentleman at Born Free, who is anti-cap there in Europe and elsewhere. Um, but other than that, it was a chance to just share information and explain, you know, that's why we don't wait until there's only a handful of animals left before we get involved. Because even if we have the expertise and all the stars align, sometimes tragic things occur. Of course, and, of course. And, it's and nature. Here. It's nature. Speaking it of not waiting until we only have a handful of species, yeah. We have we are so grateful to have with us again two weeks in a row Mike Veal, president founder, CEO, the Grand Poobah of Global Conservation Force. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome back. Hey, you have to be back. Let me just read for those who missed last week's episode uh, and shame on you if you did and go back and find it. President of Global Conservation Force, Anti-Poaching, Wildlife Protection, Community-Based Conservation, Education and Awareness. It's an organization working on the front line for endangered species. You are cur currently working in areas where the poaching of rhinos, elephants, and giraffes are the highest. You are a Southern California native who has worked extensively with animals for the majority of your career as a senior mammal keeper at San Diego Safari Park. You had unparalleled access to the last remaining North African white rhinos, as well as dozens of other endangered species. And you founded Global Conservation Force because you saw what was happening to the species that you were caring for in human care. You saw what was happening to those species in the wild. And you decided that, you know, we've, we're now down to a handful in some cases. And you needed to do something. So you founded Global Conservation Force. Your fundraising efforts all over, all over the country, all over the world, are extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. But last week we spoke kind of in general about, or two weeks ago, last episode, 
in general about a number of talk a number of topics, but there were so many we didn't get to, <clears throat> and we're going to get to those today because <clears throat> I have a list because you, <laughs> you sent it to me. Um, so let's start. We're just going to go right down right down the list. Updates on World Pangolin Day. And, and, and various other events, and winos for rhinos. Let's talk about, but again, let's, let's tell everyone what a pangolin is. So a pangolin is a scaled mammal. Um, they're the world's most trafficked mammal species. Uh, there are eight species, four in Africa, four in Asia, and they're all met by the same uh, demand structure that kind of impacts a lot of the other animals like rhino and tiger, bear bile, there's a Southeast Asian demand that is pulling, uh, pulling them out of the wild for their meat, their scales, and it based in uh, traditional medicines and uh, or delicacies and status-based foods. Woman, a woman in Japan, pregnant woman, felt that her pregnancy would go well if she had peng a tea with pangolin scales in it or something like that, from what I remember? Vietnam, yeah. Vietnam, we Vietnam. tend to find that uh, one of the bigger demands for the market with, with their scales, which are keratin, just like your fingernails. Um, there's no scientific value or medical value into that. Uh, but it has to do with uh, milk production for females who are producing milk for their young kids. And uh, that's a traditional thing on that side. The, a lot of the packaging is uh, now changed so that it's not so obvious. So if they're Western-based investigators, it can't be picked up as readily. A lot of these items aren't on the front shelf as they used to be even just two, three years ago. Uh, so you really have to know how to ask and know where, what to look for when you're trying to find some of these more uh, common traditional medicines or traditional supplements. Okay, World Pangolin Day. When is that? <clears throat> World Pangolin Day is next Saturday. And uh, we're celebrating by raising funds and awareness. Uh, yesterday, we had an event in Tucson, Arizona. And uh, it sounds like that went really well. It was a week early because that was the best deal we could strike with the local brewery. And they came on board with uh, donating their space and some beer for us. And we had a, a pangolin party. Uh, this week, we're kicking it off with uh, pangolin parties in Temecula, San Diego, Escondido, Los Angeles, Hawaii, Toronto. Uh, we're all over the map. And the goal, like I said, is to raise funds and awareness for our efforts, which are based in intel and anti-poaching. So if you have a poaching unit that's already focused in the rhino war or an elephant crisis zone, and they don't know to pay attention to the intel that's coming through with pangolin, you can, you, all, you have to, all you have to do is hone them into that same factor of pick up the tip lines on those pangolins. We'll put the, the funds behind the intel. And a lot of times when we hit the intel on the pangolins, you're going to get connected to more traffickers and more poachers that are tied into rhino and elephant Fantastic. or other animals in the region. And then we also partner with Save Vietnam's Wildlife, which sees the most confiscated pangolins out of any facility in the world, primarily because they're at the home destination for the trafficking line in Vietnam. So we have demand reduction projects with them and other communities in Vietnam, uh, where we work with uh, young students and college students and the local veterinary college and uh, then the rehab facility itself that saved Vietnam's wildlife, we've helped fund medical equipment, supplies, training, and most recently, uh, Save Vietnam's wildlife has put a new anti-poaching unit in the Quoc Phuong National Park, and GCF will be providing advanced training for their rangers so they can operate more efficiently and effectively. Vietnam is the hub 
as you say, that's that's the home base yeah. for traffickers. It's for- it's it's the end destination for a lot of animal products. Uh, Vietnam is one of the main offenders for rhino horn, pangolin, tiger, bear bile. Uh, that's just the it's one of the key spots. It has to do with uh, a, a booming economy between Southeast Asia and the trafficking routes. So China's involved in a lot of that. Uh, and then just kind of the old becoming the new, Trem- having well, money. Tremendous ignorance. Tremendous ignorance and and uh, um, uh, faith in, in quack medicine. Yeah, there's there are a lot of deeply rooted traditions that are almost impossible to argue. So that's where we have to come in with the law enforcement, uh, international trade regulation stuff, and really get ahead of the the old market by catching up with the young kids and the teenagers and the next college students because they're more likely to change and more more likely to understand than fighting the older crowd uh, who's they're just going to dig in especially if you're an outsider coming in saying stop doing this please right. they, of course they, of course they're not going to listen yes 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 winos for rhinos winos for rhinos scottsdale arizona uh, right. our partners we're partnered with uh wilson creek winery Great. we have a full Great. wine line close to and- you <laughs> what's that it's very close to gray. It is. Yeah. 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 We're going to be right down the street from you guys. Uh, it's So it's at Scottsdale Harley Davidson. And we are going to be, the, I guess, the guests for Wilson Creek's concert night there. We've got some really cool auction items lined up. We have some really nice uh, merchandise that we've uh, specifically designed for the event. And Wilson Creek will have their wine there. And we're going to be releasing a signature series of wine. And uh, that's going to go on top of our already established wine series with uh, rhino, elephant, vulture, honey badger on the, la- the labels. Um, when is that event, Mike? That is also on the 16th, uh, February 16th. And it starts at 7 p.m. It's a free event. So all you got to do is go to our Facebook page and our events and uh, check that out. Or you can go to our website. It's going to be under the first couple event tabs. Or you can go to Wilson Creek Wineries. Uh, website and uh, you can show up but they are asking that folks do reserve in advance so they know how much food to order uh, for all the people that are going to be coming so right now it's looking like a 600 person event and we'd love to see that get up to maybe 700 will you be there I'll be there. I'll be presenting that uh, night. Ray, I think uh-huh. you should go and just and and the two of you should just you know shake hands and share share a glass of wine. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll check with Karen and see if we can make it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I'll look up the information. I can try to share it as well locally to see if we can boost your numbers a little bit. But and that Gray, that Scottsdale can... Harley uh, Center is is brand new within the last year or so, and it's huge. So if you're into wine or motorcycles or pangolins or anything, uh, you want to check it out. It's a, it's a neat place. Gray, you could you could walk away with a Harley Custom soft tail, and and I would. Yeah, because that's what I need. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think, and I because the horse almost killed me, so why not I a motorcycle? <laughs> Karen would very much appreciate that. All right, so training the trainers, Mike, because yeah. then we will get into the types of training, the the technology, the equipment for training, how you train, and why it is important to train. But training the trainers, because so so, and you do that. Yes, it's one of the things that I focus on. So with an organization now the size of GCF, um, I've got to use my time uh, efficiently because there are so many projects that we have going and so many places that we need to check. I personally want to spend the most of my time on patrol or in the crisis spots working on wildlife trafficking investigations so I can relay that intel to other uh, partner organizations or law enforcement bodies that we're working with. 
So when it comes to training the trainers, it can be in any line of work from the top, which would be actually training federal officers that work for the U.S. government so that they know how to embed in certain communities. And that training might be very light, might be over a cup of coffee, talking about the best places, the best resources, all the way back down to the ground on our side saying, I'm going to be with this anti-poaching unit for two weeks, maybe four weeks, maybe six weeks. And I'm going to take this anti-poaching unit from guys that just walk around with a water bottle in their hand and train them to a standard that is much higher with several other of my instructors so that they can then move from their location and train people regionally around them. So they create a very strong network of defensive anti-poaching and proactive anti-poaching. We don't want... How do you do this? How do you, how do you, how do you, how are you accepted into this group of men walking around with water bottles? How do they say, yes, please come in and train us. We want to learn. So how do you do this? So I work on invite only. Um, I don't knock on doors saying, Hey, let me show you how to do something. Uh, and with that, we have got a waiting list. that's over a year and a half long between me and all the instructors, uh, which is great because we get to prioritize where, the help is needed most and it allows us time to fundraise, project our costs, everything in between that setup. So let's go to the last, uh, the last detail. I was in Northern Sumatra. I was in a community area dealing with uh, tiger and elephant conflict. It's the uh, Banda, Banda Aceh region. So this area is the last home habitat to orangs, Sumatran tigers, elephants, Sumatran rhino. And there's a 30% protection gap that is lost between the community buffer zone and the national parks and other working NGOs there. And so I looked to the communities and we had had an invite from two and a half years ago, which I couldn't prioritize at the time due to our African projects. And they said, would you guys ever be game to come out and help us? And I said, absolutely. I just can't commit within the next, you know, X, Y, Z timeline. Well, that timeline came. Uh, we fundraised, we fully equipped the team when we came out, camera traps, drones, uh, community resources for like education visits for the kids that they might do. And then literally train those, those rangers in several platforms of advanced ranger patrol techniques and uh, or law enforcement style techniques so that when they're out on patrol, uh, in, in my own words, people aren't blind. So if you are a ranger and you don't know how to track you are blind in your in your operating habitat. You don't know what animals are moving to and from. You don't know if there's a poacher or if there's a kid that's gotten lost in that habitat. You don't know if there's a fence line that's been cut. You don't know if there's a cattle herder in there. There's a lot of things that you're you're completely oblivious to. So tracking is one of the key things that I like to teach because if you're in a habitat and you know as a tracker that a certain bird makes a certain sound when there's a person or a predator around, you can pay attention to that detail. Or if you know that someone has breached the fence line or the perimeter of this reserve, you can tell how old it is, where they were going, probably what they're carrying, if it was heavy or light, uh, if they've poached something or if they're setting up snares. We need to teach those things so that those attention to detail are there. So those rangers then add everything else to the top of that, which would be arrest techniques, uh, CPR first aid, um, survival craft, bushcraft, weapons training, crime scene investigations, another one. If you're in the bush, you're in the wild, you're in the jungle, and you're walking blindly through an area and you've walked into something because you don't know what you're looking at or you don't see it, you might just walk through a crime scene. You could have 
easily damage something as simple as a footprint that was a full footprint that gave you a size, the tread, uh, maybe a specific mark in the shoe that gave you a brand name uh, or a cigarette butt or a shell casing, the type of snare that's being used. Is it cut fence line from the local fence line or is it cut fence line from a fence line that's next to their community? Or is it a brake cable to a scooter bike? Uh, and is it a specific scooter bike, like a Chinese imported electric scooter that only one or two communities have because they're close to the port market that has it? There's all these little details that we faction together so that these ranger teams aren't just like, oh, there's a snare. I found it. I stumbled across it. No, I want them to see the footprints before they get to that snare, track that poacher, watch all the snare areas, find what we call snare nests, remove all the snares, look for other active activity in that zone. So are these old snares? Like, are they two weeks old or three weeks old? Or are these freshly set snares? Because that changes your tactic too. You need to know how to anti-track so you don't leave your own, your own footprints there. So when that snare poacher comes back, you leave several there so you can ambush that guy when he comes back and arrest him. So it's, you need to know all these different things. It's CSI meets Sherlock Holmes meets MacGyver. It's fantastic. And and the people who invite you, they do you find that they are that they get very excited about becoming like a Sherlock Holmes? That they that they get very excited about using their mental capacity to be able to kind of now research and and solve the puzzle? Absolutely. These guys um it's a lot of fun training rangers. Uh, it's, it is really hard work, even though it, it is like, you know, training and all the different instructor uh, faculties that we have to go through. But in the ranger world of anti-poaching, at least in wildlife protection, these guys aren't paid well and they have a lot of ambitions and dreams. And when uh, our international team is, comes out and works alongside them for several weeks or months, um, not only do they feel really special that someone came out and put the time and effort into their team it builds the confidence in the team and you see a morale boost and a confidence boost there so these guys are really just thrilled you see in the training a lot of times these guys are smiling and laughing they're messing with each other they're uh, a lot more energized throughout their days uh, they're excited to go use the new things that they've learned and with that excitement they put more passion on patrol and they put more focus on specific areas so they're not wasting time. And you see them basically doing more. They start getting more snares, making more arrests, uh, getting more involved with the community because they've got a skill set that they really want to use and they want to prove it to us. So when we come back to reassess how their skills are going, they're like, look what we've done. This is what we've done. And we can't wait to show you what else. Oh, and such and such did this. And we've started this new project. And it changes the complete dynamic of, of a group of guys or a group of community members who are patrolling in hazardous wildlife conditions to protect wildlife. Gray, thoughts, comments, notions? Well, <clears throat> excuse me, it's all wonderful stuff. And, and I, you know, <clears throat> struck by something you said earlier, Mike, which is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you, when you focus on one species like a pangolin, the pangolin is a, is a beautiful little creature, but it's shy, it's elusive. It doesn't get the, the, the print space of an of a African elephant or African lion or tiger. Do you find that when you're able to help um, 
one species, there are other benefits to the community and to other species, as you, I think you alluded to that earlier. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, we float our pangolin protection budgets a lot with rhino and elephant habit, habitat-based funding because we're still trying to get that name uh, recognized in the general public. So what is a pangolin? People are like, oh, I didn't realize penguins were getting poached. You're like, not peng penguins, pangolins. Um, so yeah, when we take this space and we design our, our awareness and uh, protection structure of animal highlight species for this conversation exactly, because someone goes, oh, I wanna save elephants, oh, I wanna save rhinos. When you are approaching the dangerous structure that criminal syndicates operate to get ivory and rhino horn out of a community or out of a wildlife habitat zone, an entire habitat and community around that are affected. So when you have a very effective ranger unit and community-based support structure with those rangers operating together, symbiotic relationship, uh, you're able to save everything from the insects, the birds, the smaller mammals, all the unknowns that are in that same habitat as the rhino, elephant, giraffe. And pangolins fall into that. Do you, do you see the same level of cooperation among various NGOs? Because you have a lot of NGOs that are dedicated to you know, rhinos or elephants or tigers or primates. Is there any kind of competition or, or do, you, do you see a lot of cooperation? Because you know, funding dollars are you know, they're limited, right? And so I could see a situation where there might be some competition set up, but what are you finding? <clears throat> So I definitely see there's a lot of competition, that's for sure. Um, but the way we approach it is more like the, if people are willing to work together and they're credible, we don't care about that competition. Um, so in the beginning, when I was starting to work with the round protection units um, in South Africa, a lot of units weren't working together. And one of my first goals was getting those regional teams to start communicating and working together because they're effectively island nations all getting struck blindly from each other and uh, it didn't do anybody any good because everybody's just running around getting slammed by these rhino poachers who are more organized, technically speaking, at that point. Um, fast forward to now. Uh, so like the guys we were training in northern Sumatra, that was the Sumatran Ranger Project. That is a uh, local-based NGO. And instead of competing with those guys and trying to set up our own unit or anything like that, why not work with them, make them stronger, and become an alliance partner for a, an entirely new habitat? So we approach that a lot. We work with a lot of the uh, foundations that are out on the ground. So like we're very, we're very much, uh, I guess, for those we work closely together with everybody, really. For those who don't know, let's, what is it, what's an NGO? A non-governmental non or non-profit organization. Okay. So uh, depending on your, your home, your home base for admin and business, it might be an NGO or N, uh, NPO. NPO, right. So. Can I just follow up with that? Do you, now that you've been doing this for several years and you've been in some regions for many years, um, are, you, are you able to track um, improvements over, over baseline conditions when you got there? Yeah, so I wish, I wish in the beginning I had enough uh, support and funding to really have like some scientific data. Um, but just to give you an example, when I, was first working on like joint task force units for rhino protection in the Kruger Park overlap in the greater Kruger Park. That region was losing collectively in one province, 80, 90 rhino a month. 
And that was just the rhino stats. That was not snare poaching. That wasn't uh, giraffe and elephant. And those were there on the spectrum. Uh, but now you look where we're at now, it's three to five rhino maybe in a month collectively between some of these zones. Some areas have completely been extinguished. Other, people, other areas have ignited, but we, we saw that coming. So we, we started the same structure of alliance and support uh, leapfrogging where that crisis was most likely headed. Uh, we're seeing political involvement starting to pick up in certain <clears throat> countries that we never thought we'd see. Uh, we're seeing more awareness, more general public knowledge. Uh, there's, there, there are conversation topics that were just like the pangolin we picked up pangolins in 2015 as one of our core species of focus. And we're now starting to have people tell us what pangolins are, which is great. You know, they come to the awareness table and they're like, oh, I just heard about pangolins. They're so cool. Well, when we started, we, even with rhino, people are like, yeah, rhino ivory. We're like, no, rhino horn, elephant ivory. Now it's, oh, I've heard about rhino horn. It's a very, very big deal. It's a problem. These little slivers of uh, success really add up to a lot because at the end of the day, People are more aware, more involved. Uh, we're seeing in some, uh, some of the developed nations, more developed nations, a lot better law enforcement structure, more prosecution rates. There, there, are, there are definitely successes happening. It's just a big place, a let, big world to try to push. Let's, uh, let's, 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 let's talk about some cool tools. You've got you, you, the equipment and the technology that you are now able through fundraising, through your, through your organization, like drones and, you know, night vision goggles. What, what are some of the cool tools that you were able to equip these rangers with that they never had before? So I'll start at the very bottom. Honestly, boots and backpacks, hydration bladders, those are game changers for rangers. Uh, again, you have to have effective units. And if they can track and they can run, they're physically fit and they can defend themselves, they can handle almost everything that's going to come at them regularly. Now, when you are truly in a hot spot for crisis zones, camera traps, thermal vision, night vision, drones, these all help the rangers push that threshold of efficiency further. Uh, so if you look at a reserve and it's a square zone and you have four rangers in each, each one in each square, we'll just make it easy. If you can hire more rangers in, that would be fantastic, but that's a lot of uh, operating costs involved with vehicles, food and whatnot. So reserve might not have that infrastructure for that budget. But we as GCF can come in and lay 20 camera traps. Each camera trap, if, if they are connected and they can send the signals, they act as rangers because a lot of these camera traps will put them in focal points where we know the poachers cross. So either the wildlife or these uh, poachers are most likely going to cross here. And if they send us a text message that's filtered to only send us people, rhino, elephant, or however we set these camera traps up, then there can be one guy who is already in charge of all the ground units, scanning through these pictures, getting updates on his phone going, oh, there's just another elephant passing camera trap one. Oh, there's just a rhino at camera trap two. Oh, there's a poacher that just came in at <clears throat> camera trap 14, dispatch the, the unit. He dispatches the tactical unit. Those poachers have only been in there for two or three minutes. We know exactly where to start. We know exactly where they're headed. And it takes the guessing out of it. And those are eyes on the ground uh, that are operating 24-7. They don't need food, water, and crazy overhead. Um, and eventually that makes the team more effective and efficient just by arrest and in visual. That's genius. 
It's just genius. <laughs> I think we probably covered why it's important to train the trainers because it, it builds morale. It and then they go out and they and they they pay it forward. They pass it on. Um, yeah. Um, so let's talk. Wow, it's just it's miraculous what you're doing. Education, education outreach so from the U.S. to project countries. So you go in, you not only train trainers, but you you build you build up the communities and and the and you say now that people are coming to you with information about pangolins, about uh, correct correct facts about rhino horn, about ivory. So you you you're seeing results in terms of not just training boots on the ground, you know, anti poaching rangers, but but you're building knowledge in the communities. And you're building that awareness and you're building the support for the rangers in the communities. Absolutely. So um, if you're looking here at the United States, we've we've got a lot of focus projects on education awareness where we have our teams out doing school presentations and uh, building curriculum with local school districts here in the States where they build a PowerPoint on elephants, rhino, giraffe, you know, that kind of stuff. And these teachers can plug it into their curriculum and they can share our videos and it's really easy for them just to have it. So they get kids excited and then they have a resource center that they can go to our website and they can read up on all the under the core species. Uh, and we have an education project coordinator. Then on the project country side, what we'll do is um, we might know that, okay, this ranger, his wife is the community school teacher, but that school only has enough funding for, you know, basics, basics. Like they don't even have light in the classroom or something like that. We'll come in and we'll help put solar lanterns up or we'll build education curriculums from uh, master's students or PhD students or even just wildlife specialists on this side. We'll get them a projector. We'll get them the funding to do school outreach uh, projects like going to the national parks. And then we'll even put our project coordinators out there for a little bit and get those teachers trained up on the wildlife. And so currently... Uh, our mounted anti-poaching unit coordinator. She's working with several units in uh, the KwaZulu-Natal province of South Africa. She's training our second mounted unit. That's our sole second mounted unit uh, with our project partners out there. And on her road to collect equipment and get all the tools and stuff for this new mounted unit in the reserve, she's been spending a lot of time with all the local communities, telling them the goals of our projects, how they can become a ranger someday. She's visiting the orphanages. We did a clothing drive for some kids. Um, we brought our wildlife activity books out and there are prizes for some of these kids too. So there's one of the project partners out there is called Rhino Art. And with Rhino Art, the kids all compete in coloring contests for this you know, rhino in a nice big sheet. And there's five winners selected and those kids get to go to the national parks. Well, there's a really important question on that piece of paper and so I think, I think Roxanne has done, um, God, it just by my own count, it looks like it's, it's over, it's over 400 kids collectively over the last several weeks that she's been with, with our project partners. Uh, but those kids are asked on that piece of paper, have you ever seen a wild rhino? And it's easy to say that 95% say no. And they live right outside of those, uh, the, those, uh, those national parks, those reserves. They're in the habitat zone. Um, they don't see them. So we try to make sure we get the opportunity to connect those kids to those, the local wildlife uh, in one way or another. And um, they're, 
there are many ways we can do it. And a lot of them are very cost effective ways to do it. You know, it's like it's like living in Southern California and never going to Disneyland. You just you just kind of well, it's there. I'll get to it someday. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And you and then you kind of get you, you, you get on with your life. How many people would you say roughly are under the Global Conservation Force banner? Because it sounds in a way like you've got hundreds of people. Do you? We have, so our team is 62 people. Uh, it is, it consists of 62 people. <clears throat> the entire team is volunteer. Um, we have, I call them professional volunteers because everybody's trained and runs and operates a specific avenue. Um, their average volunteer hours a week are about 20 hours a week working on content, communication, application of the projects. And then everybody's, everybody in the core team spends time on the ground every year. And that's usually several months a year, um, or, you know, at least a minimum of like several weeks. Um, everybody has a different boots on the ground in another country in a different, yep. I mean, you know, working. Yeah. yeah. So like, um, uh, one of our LA team members and one of our Australian team members just, just wrapped up several weeks of training for ranger units. We trained 65 rangers, uh, between nine reserves for that project. Um, they were teaching combat tactical medicine, hand-to-hand self-defense, arrest techniques, and emergency evacuation. And uh, so those guys did workshops for the crisis hubs and our partners and all these different areas. And they were training the trainers. So like if they were in a hub where several reserves were all in that spot, the head of those reserves or the, the ranking uh, rangers would come, they come get trained, then they go back and train their units. They're certified, they oversee that training. And then uh, we collectively go from training 65 to impacting, you know, the impact on the ground is more like 400 people of coverage. Um, I think so, you, I think you, you single-handedly may be saving this planet. <laughs> I feel like you not, not quite yet. Whereas there's such, there's so many things I wish we could do. Um, and, you, and I have a feeling you will because I am now desperate to become a trainer. <laughs> I want you to train me and I would like to volunteer, you know, on hiatus some at some point, you know, it's like, yeah. what are you going to do with your hiatus? You know, Carolyn, well, I'm going to Sumatra and I'm going to train. I'm going to set, I'm going to set camera traps. I yeah. would, I would just thrill to do this. <laughs> Gray thoughts before we get into ecotourism. Yeah. Mike, what is the, I know you've got a background um, from zoo work working mm -hmm. in, a, in a, you know, traditional zoo setting. <clears throat> what is the role of, of modern zoos uh, to help in this effort that you're doing? I mean, is there a role? Are you getting a lot of cooperation from zoological institutions? What do you, what do you think to that? So I would say that the zoos play a huge role in the modern conservation efforts. For many facilities, I think the most important thing that they can start with is literally the awareness. The amount of people coming to facilities daily who are able to walk away with a message that can connect them to a more specific cause or involvement is really important because there's so many shiny pennies in, in people's day to distract them in every direction. If they go to a zoo and for one second, they pay attention that there's a rhino poaching crisis and they can donate or they can throw a fundraiser or they can be involved. We need that. We, we, we can't do everything on the ground and we can't do everything uh, here at home and we need, we need help in every way possible. So that's one, one thing, awareness and education outreach 
we have to get, we have to keep that going strong. The, like, for example, I believe uh, San Diego zoo had, it, it was something around 5 million visitors last year. And if you were to take that and say every person dollar, every person donated a dollar to conservation, which I mean, in one way or another, they, they did, but that, that kind of funding would be unreal for these type of projects. Um, but those people at least walk away knowing that there's an issue, there's a way to get involved and it sparks people to get activated and to be involved. There's the SSP programs and the breeding where a lot of zoos become the emergency bank account for endangered species. So when zoos can host, uh, let's say, scimitar horned orcs and they collectively work together between 30 facilities and everybody's managing a healthy population and that animal goes extinct in the wild like they did and then they can work with on the ground partners like the Sahara Conservation um, they can reintroduce those species when the political climate and the uh, regional climate is healthy and stable again to get those animals back in the wild and that's an example of uh, breeding combination with education and outreach, fundraising, collective partnerships. Um, I would say we have had pretty good cooperation with uh, several zoos and they have done fundraisers for us or they help boost our awareness campaigns. Uh, we've gotten grants from zoos and that's funding that we wouldn't have had had they not been involved, had they not been doing the awareness and education and fundraising on their own. And, uh, it's hard enough just to stay afloat with a conservation organization. And when zoos, which are an established location can connect their resources into the field, it's just an invaluable tool of support for us. I think a donation box at, in, in, at, at every zoo, it's like a, a, a single dollar as you leave. And this is, you know, and a brochure, and this is what it will do. This is where it will go. Um, we only have a few minutes left. Ecotourism, because Because, you know, there are things like, well, I, I can't even, I can't, I can't even name, I can't even think of the, the, uh, the, you know, the travel sites, the one with the owl, you know, that's, that, that now has, is starting to ban, uh, um, they're, they're starting to ban, uh, um, oh, I can't, I can't even think, I'm sorry, <laughs> I can't even think. Um, they've started, who, what's, what's the one with the owl? TripAdvisor. TripAdvisor. Yeah. I believe yeah. TripAdvisor has started banning tours with that 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 take you to see animals in various sites even though there are so many like 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 Charlotte's and you know Elephant Nature Park that's that's a shining jewel in the crown of ecotourism so how does global conservation force um, work with ecotourism so we are just starting to establish projects where we can connect kind of these conservation trip experiences uh, we are starting with three tiers, one that's kind of more like aimed at college students, one that's more for the family, and then one that's more like a VIP experience. We're trialing it out. And this ecotourism stuff connects people. Well, so these trips would basically create a new source of fundraising for us where people really want to get to the field and it's going to be safe and they can see project details. They can see our project sites. Um, they can talk to people on the ground. They can see the animals in the wild. And they are doing it on a vacation. A lot of people want something out of a donation or, you know, they want to be involved. A vacation is a safe way to do that. And if we work collectively with 
our partners on the ground where we can get discounted rates and we're making, I don't know, like $10 a night or something off of a, a stay because there's a conservation, um, a conservation costs in their donation included, you know, uh, it could raise a couple hundred bucks for us. And that's, that's a lot. I mean, honestly, that makes a difference. Have you and then, beta tested any of these? And are, are people able to kind of book these now? How would they do this? What's, what are some of the fee? I mean, what's, what's like the cost for the VIP, the family, the student? Um, are, are these, are these, have you implemented these? Uh, one, one tier is being implemented right now. It's in, it's in the, tr the trial phase. It's the VIP experience first, which is going to be Cape Town to uh, Eastern Cape in South Africa. You need a beta, so, you need a, you need a, you need a beta tester. Come I'm, on out. I'm yeah. right here. Yeah. Okay. There's a, so this, this first trip is uh, going to be through Wilson Creek. We're going to eventually tap in with the wine club there. And uh, the group is going to be going from Cape Town, seeing various sites, starting in the city in the wine country and then going all the way to one of our project sites and seeing our mounted units and um, rhinos, elephant, giraffe, the whole nine and getting connected to like the disconnect of the city to the wild, even in the home habitat range, but how they can make an impact from Southern California wine country to wine country in South Africa. Yeah. That like the, the stuff, I, I remember going out to the still when I was in, Cape Town, uh, the Stellenbosch Winery. They can yeah, have a yeah, because they have a beautiful cheetah preserve there. Gorgeous, just gorgeous, um, amazing, amazing yeah, what you are what you are doing with sixty two people. I'm I'm Bro. stunned. <laughs> and we've talked about I when you were on uh, about you know a year ago or two years ago. We talked about me coming out and just having like a like a, a day training or a week because you do that here. Mm -hmm. You have training here in Oceanside. Yes. Yeah, we do have training uh, fundraisers where we do like people can come out and do like uh, an intro to ranger course for a day or two days. And we do basically like a really uh, expedited <laughs> version of hand to hand combat, first aid, tracking and like what it's like to do field medical uh, for ranger stuff. So how do you rescue somebody that's five miles into a national park and you've got four guys and nothing else? You know, that's, that's so that's kind of how those courses go. Gray, I'm going to propose this to you. Um, my, well, Mike, first of all, would you be willing to <laughs> sort of host Gray and I, if he can come out to do it, yay, maybe, and and put this all on camera and have this be like a four-part, you know, a four-part series on this show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That'd be fun. That would be fun. Let's arrange it is, that. It is a lot of fun. I have to say it's it's. Let's it's arrange fun. that. Maybe we it's can, really good skill building. We can, oh, I need it. Um, um, maybe we can even get Andrea down. Uh, from from Seattle, we'll have to get somebody with with a, with a decent enough camera to watch Gray and I put being put through the paces, and <laughs> and this would be over a day or over two days or how or how long? Uh, we probably do like a over a day. It's probably the best way to do it. That way, okay. it doesn't impact everybody's schedule too much. Um, we've got a GCF camera crew that could do it. Um, they follow our efforts in the field uh, because a lot of times your hands are too busy to really get. A good storyline going if you're you know teaching rangers how to fire weapons and how to arrest poachers and how to go through things safely so um 
I bet you I could get my my GCF crew on that. What about an editor? <laughs> because yep. because there will be funny moments, and we want to, especially with me, the comic stylings of Carolyn Hennessy trying, you know, hand to hand combat. But but uh, let's. I'm gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna make this happen. Probably sooner rather than later. Um, wow. I, I think we covered damn near everything. Uh, Mike, you, um, there are a lot of people who talk the talk and you, and you walk it, you fight it every single day. You just came back from Sumatra and where are you going again next and when? <laughs> um, I leave. So we're on a fundraising campaign trail right now, trying really hard to, to raise, uh, $60,000. We reevaluated some of our budgets. We were looking at $20,000 for one of our projects, uh, $29,000 for other projects. And then we're a couple grand shy on a couple other details. So we're, that's what Rhinos for Rhinos is doing. We're trying to raise funds there with that. And then several other upcoming events. Uh, I leave back for Africa in the end of March. We're doing a full ranger intake in South Africa with a reserve that needs a stronger team and we're going to take in uh, 10 rangers selected for six spots uh, and then the extra rangers will be hired onto neighboring reserves and it's going to be a full paramilitary boot camp intake so those guys are going to definitely be building some character through that that course where can people go to donate right now they can go to our website at globalconservationforce.org and they can click the donate button there's individual campaigns and a general donation box you can go to our Facebook page and there's a donation link up, up there as well. And uh, you can also visit our online store, which is also connected to the website and the Facebook page. And uh, that will get you there as well. And get out on the 16th to the Harley Davidson, the brand new Harley Davidson store in, in Scottsdale, Scottsdale, in Scottsdale, buy a bike and, and buy some wine. And and that will be on the 16th at 7 p.m. Yes. Yep. yep. Okay. There's a there's a there's a decent chance. I'm not going to promise, but there's a decent chance that Gray Stafford and his wife, his beautiful wife Karen, will uh will come down <laughs> from well, maybe from their maybe perch. Carolyn should, maybe you should fly over for the evening. For, oh, that's great. On the 16th. Yeah. Come on out. What's that? A Sunday? It's a Saturday. It's a Saturday. Yeah. Come join us. We'll get you on stage. Seven o'clock. Why do I think I've got something? And that's well. That's a week from yesterday. Um, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. But if I can't, there's a there's an even better chance that Gray can, and uh, and that's maybe something we should get on film. <laughs> so film it. Um, before wow. the wine. Before uh, the wine. Before the wine. Yeah. Before, before the wine. Before the wine. <laughs> before the wine. Well, I don't drink, so I will be filming you both if I yeah. can get there. Why do I think I've got something? Um, anyway, um, doesn't doesn't matter. We'll 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 try and work it out. Um, Mike, will you will you well forget coming back on because you will be on when Gray and I, I'm just making this promise, um, come for the day to to get trained as you would train a trainer who will then train the trainers Correct. and the rangers. So we are going to go through a sort of a a a, a fast, kind of condensed, uh, you know, Reader's Digest version of the course 
but to show everyone what you do and and hopefully maybe get some volunteers for you that then, that can then go through extended training and then be put in the field. So we're going to we're going to connect with you on that and we're going to come down to Oceanside. Um yep. sooner rather than later, Gray. So uh so thank you so much for coming on again two weeks in a row. Fantastic. And and you walk the walk. You fight the fight. Um, so impressive you are, my friend. So impressive. Thank so, you. Thank you so much for, for being again on this episode of, of Animal Magnetism. Gray, <sighs> always, always a pleasure. It's been too long since I've seen you, my friend. Uh, so much has yeah. happened for both of us. Um, good job on CNN last night. Uh, viewers, go and find it on YouTube because I'm sure it's there. Um, and we will see you again in two weeks, hopefully. Mike Veal, Global Conservation Force. Everyone, just click and donate, donate, donate. This is an incredibly worthy cause. This is saving. This is this is doing the actual hard work. It's not just it's not just going and speaking and saying, oh yes, we need to. They are doing it. So please go donate. We're uh, globalconservationforce.org. Uh, listeners, uh, once again, Tony Sweet, the handsomest man in radio, who no one ever sees. But trust me, trust me on this. No, 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 the handsomest man in radio. Andrea Compton, my producer, my, uh, my right-hand gal, uh, get well soon. And listeners, please join us in two weeks. We ha I have no idea who we'll have. It'll be somebody spectacular. It might be me and Gray um, uh, going through the paces, being put through the paces and getting trained as a, as a, as a trainer. Maybe not. We'll see. We'll see, we'll see who, who, who comes on. Just remember, in two weeks... Uh, tune in again for another episode of Animal Magnetism. Thank you. I am your host, Carolyn Hennessy. Uh, always remember um, to cultivate the preservationist heart because it will not only stand you in good stead with in terms of in terms of conserving and preserving animals, but if you walk through life with a preservationist heart, you will uh, get incredible karma points and you will simply become a more expanded, evolved, and finer human being. So we will see you in two weeks. Thank you for joining me, and bye-bye. Uh,